Hello, everyone. I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. Matthew chapter 9. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. I'm excited about this word this morning. It's been a minute since I stood behind the pulpit, and it's always nerve-wracking to preach for Pastor Rick because he's the greatest preacher on earth. And I'll be honest with you, I, I just prefer hearing him over anybody else in the world, and if I can just sit under his preaching until I die, I'll be a happy, happy man. And I'm grateful for him. It's always an honor to fill in for him. We love you, Pastor Rick, and we honor you in your absence. Matthew 9, go to verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from there, he saw a man named Matthew. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom or the tax collection table. And he said unto him, follow me. And Matthew arose and followed Jesus. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, that's Matthew's house, behold, many publicans or other tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw that, they said to his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? It's interesting that the Pharisees would ask the disciples, and Jesus is standing right there. Be careful who has your ear. Be careful who has your ear. That was a seed. That was a seed. They knew what they were doing. They were trying to mess with Jesus, so they decided, and they knew they couldn't, so they decided to try to mess with their disciples. And that's how the devil does. They'll try to mess with you. But when Jesus heard that, Jesus will always speak up for you. He said unto them, the Pharisees, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick do. Go and learn this. See what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous. I am not come to call the righteous. But sinners to repentance. We're going to take our text out of the first verse I read this morning out of chapter 9, verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from there... He saw a man named Matthew. I'm going to talk for a few minutes this morning, hopefully not too long, on the subject, the gospel of Matthew. The gospel of Matthew. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We feel you in this building. God, we thank you that you can do whatever you want to do. And we submit our spirits to you right now and say, have your way. God, we extend our faith towards you, knowing that it is a magnet that draws in your work. And so, God, we synergize our faith together this morning. And we ask you, God, do things that only you do. God, we pray that you'd lift up the downcast. God, that you lay a garment of praise on that one that feels so heavy burdened and depressed. God, we pray that you would do things that you do. 
God, bring some encouragement to somebody's soul. God, we thank you for choosing each and every one of us. Not just collectively, you did that, but God, you chose us each individually, and we thank you for that. And God, we pray that somebody comes to a revelation of who they are this morning. They're more than their sin. They're more than what they've been through. They're more than what people have said they are. God, they're who you said they are. And so, God, we pray this morning that you would just take control. Help me, God. I'm just a man, and I just need your help this morning to communicate your gospel in a way that might change somebody's life or at least set them on the right path. We give you glory and honor and everything in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Can you put your hands together one more time and give God praise? You may be seated. You may be seated. Before we get into our text, the gospel of Matthew, a few things, a few ideas that I just want to talk to you about. They're very simple. We probably would all agree that we understand these notions and we probably all agree on them. But I think it's important for us to talk about it in order to come to a proper understanding of the text we're going to read. First of all, God is God all by himself. He doesn't need your help. God is God all by himself. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, but as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher. Somebody say higher. Higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. God is sovereign. What that simply means is God is in control. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. He's the one that controls the joystick of life. He's the one that puts the puzzle pieces together. He's the one that controls it all. God is God all by himself. He is sovereign. His providence is a mystery. Who he chooses to protect and guard and who he doesn't is a mystery to us. His providence is a mystery. Why? Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher. They're more lofty. They're more elevated. Uh, they're more affluent. They, they are beyond our capacity of understanding. We can see glimpses of who God is. We can see glimpses of how he thinks. We can try to align ourselves with those things, but the reality is God is God all by himself he needs not your help and his ways are higher than our ways just when you think you got God figure out he, he, he shifts a little bit just when you think you've come to an understanding of who he is he reveals himself in a brand new way and when he does that this messes with religious folks this messes with religious folks because when God does things in a new way, most way that new way is perceived as an evil way or a false way or a heretical way because it transcends the box through which their version or their understanding of God fits. But God is God all by himself. He needs not your help. He doesn't fit in your box. As a matter of fact, you fit in his box. And his box is far beyond any capacity you could have. Isaiah 43, behold, I do a new thing. Will you not perceive it? Jacob is laying at Bethel and God reveals himself to him in a fresh way. And he wakes up and his first response is, God was here and I didn't know it. 
How many times have we been there where we think we have God figured out? We think we know what he's doing. We, we think we know what he's about to do. We think we know that we can, we can put our claims on him and he has to do what we say. This can be a challenging truth for some of us to accept. It seems simple enough to agree with. However, when God doesn't do what we told him to do, it messes with our faith. I'm going to say that again. When God doesn't do what we told him to do, it messes with our faith. We like to tell God what to do as if he's subject to our decrees and he's subject to our commands and he's subject to our petitions. What we say, he does. No, 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 no. God is God all by himself. He needs not your health. Just because you prayed it, just because you faithed it, doesn't mean it's in line with his plan. That's a challenging word to feel. Just because you're believing for it doesn't mean it's on the path of purpose. That scares us faith Christians because we believe in faith and we're supposed to step out in faith. Amen. That is true. But that doesn't change the fact that God is God alone. He's God all by himself. And he doesn't have to do what you told him to do. He does what he intends to do. His story is much bigger than us. His story, his, his story is much bigger than us. All of our purposes come together as one to conglomerate or put together his, his divine or his big intention. All of our purposes matter, not just our individual purposes. And many times our faith and our petition and our prayers are centered around us alone. And we're not looking at it from a purposeful mindset. This is how people lose faith. This is how people lose confidence in God. This is how people get discouraged. This is how people get downcast or they fall away from the Lord because they feel like they faithed it. They did everything God, uh, the, the preachers told them to do. They did everything that they feel like their understanding of the Bible told them to do and it didn't work out the way they thought it was supposed to work out. God doesn't do it like they want it and, or like they expected or like they said, and it frustrates and disappoints. We must elevate our faith past this because it is a simple understanding that God is God alone and God is God all by himself, but sometimes we don't live like that because if we don't have control of it then we don't understand it, then it must not be God. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, not my will be done, but your will be done. Even Jesus didn't want to do it that way, but he chose to do it God's way. He is God. We are man. We are his. We belong to him. He does not belong to us. We belong to him. Isaiah 45, I am God alone and there is no other. I think I've emphasized that enough. God is God all by himself. He is sovereign. He's the creator. He's the majestic one. He's alone. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's everywhere at one time. He made the heavens and the earth. He made the stars and the sky. He made the universe. That's why I don't pray to the universe because I know the one who made the universe. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He is God alone and there is none other. Important to understand that as we... Address this idea of the gospel of Matthew, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. The gospel comes, the word gospel comes from a Greek word. The word is euangelion. I may not even be saying that right, but we're going to go with that. 
Euangelion, E-U-Angelion. <laughs> it's a compound word, two words. E-U, you, literally means good or pleasant. We get words like euphonic or euphonious music. What that means is it, it sounds good. It feels good. It sounds good. Uh, we use the word euphoria. It's a state of being where everything is amazing. It's like euphoria. It's the most pleasant moment. We use words like eulogy. Eulogy is when you speak good words about somebody at a funeral. You, it means to be good or pleasant. The word angelion or angelos uh, is where we get the word angel. It's where we get the word angel from. It literally means a message, a message, something that is transferred, something that is given, something that is conveyed, something that we talk about, and, and, and one who brings good news. So euangelion literally means one who brings good news. Isaiah tells us how good and pleasant it is those that bring good news or those that bring the gospel. And what he's referring to is they would sit in the watchtower of their cities or on the mountaintops over the valleys as the, the news carriers would come in and they could literally read their feet. By how they were running, they could tell whether it was good news or whether it was bad news by how they were running. If they were running wildly and there was dust coming up from the bottom of their feet, they knew good news was on the way. So they would say how good and how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news, that bring good news. Because these, these messengers would go out and see what's about to happen, and then they'd come back with the instruction for the city. They would come back with the instruction for the city. That's why preachers, are, their feet are so beautiful, because they go out in the spirit realm, and they see what's coming our way, and then they come in here, and they give us the good news that no matter what comes against you, God is for you. God is for you. The New Testament has three... Uh, ways or terms in which it conveys the gospel. First is the liter literary way, which we know uh, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four gospels, the four books of the Bible that talk about Jesus' life. And, and what it, it's a literary term, right? And then there's, there's the next way that it, it, it conveys it, which is how and why and what Jesus did. Conveys his life, his actions, his teaching. His miracles. It communicates that Jesus is the Son of God. He came down from heaven, rested on earth. He died on a cross. He was buried. He rose on the third day and now sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the message we have from the gospel. And that's what these gospels communicate. And then lastly, it's that in these gospels or through that message, it takes faith and faith alone to receive that gospel. And this is, a, this is a challenge for that day and age because at this point, in the, when Jesus was on earth, at this point there, was, there were sacrifices that had to be made. You had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to visit the temple and you had to bring a sacrifice with you to atone for your sin or to, or to lay your petition before the Lord. And now Jesus came and disrupted all and that's what the good news is. You don't need somebody else to lay a petition before the Lord for you anymore. The good news is you get to approach the throne boldly. You get to approach the throne of grace boldly boldly on your own why because Jesus did it and what does it take it takes faith and faith alone nowadays 
Gospel is referred to as truth. You've heard the term, uh, it is the gospel truth. That means it is so true that there's no disputing it. It's the gospel truth. Webster defines it as a thing that is absolutely true or a set of principles or rules that you abide by that are proven and safe. A lot of business people or construction people will teach you a process or an engineer will say this is the process in how to build this and this is the gospel. You follow it. Why is it the gospel? Because it is the set, proven way to get to the outcome that you are looking for. The gospel. Somebody say the gospel. The gospel of Matthew. And Jesus passed forth from there. This is a simple message, but as I started the message with, I think for too long we've deviated from the simplicity of the gospel. And in deviating from the simplicity of the gospel, we've been deceived into other notions and got ourselves off the track of purpose. So let's get back to simplicity. As Jesus passed forth from there, he saw a man, man named Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and he followed him. What's interesting about this passage is that Matthew is writing about himself. It's chapter 9, y'all. Chapter 9, verse 9. And Matthew's just getting around to letting you know that Jesus called him to be a disciple. He's just getting around to give you a little picture, a little window into his background and who he is. And in chapter 9, nine chapters after he starts this book, a book that outlines the lineage of Jesus. It outlines the birth of Jesus. We see Jesus get baptized in this book. We see Jesus go out into the wilderness and be tempted of the devil. We see the call of the original disciples and apostles. We see the Sermon on the Mount happen. We see these miracles begin to happen. And then right in the middle of this chapter, chapter 9, where there's a paralytic that's healed, there's a blind man that's healed, the woman with the issue of blood is healed there, the official's daughter is brought back to life, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, instruction come in this chapter, and right there in the middle, Matthew drops this bomb, and it seems insignificant in comparison to the rest that's written there, and, and as Jesus went along, he saw a man named Matthew. Name Matthew. Can you imagine the emotion he must have felt when he just wrote those words? I bet as he's writing that story, he had to put his pen down for a minute and back up. I bet he began to shake a little bit and tears began to come down his eyes as he remembered the moment that Jesus saw him and called him. Do you remember that day? Or is it blurry? Is it washed away with all the thoughts and worries of this world? Do you remember that day that he called you? Can you imagine how he felt in this moment? And it's as if to say, because as soon as he writes, and Jesus came along, he went from there, and he saw a man named Matthew. He's writing it right after Jesus heals a paralytic. And then after he heals the blind and the issue of blood and brings back somebody from the dead, it's as if he said, this miracle of my calling is as important as that miracle. 
Because a paralytic can't walk, a paralytic can't move, a paralytic is restricted, the blind man can't see, the dead, his life is over, the issue of blood brings weakness and shame, and here is Matthew, a tax collector, he's saying what I was involved in was just as bad as that death. It was just as bad as that blindness. I was paralyzed in my spirit because all I wanted was the riches that I could pull from this collection. And in the midst of this story, this beautiful story that Matthew is outlining, and Matthew had a way of writing this gospel the perfect way. The perfect way, because he, he pulled off Mark a lot. Mark wrote his book first, and he knew Mark was with him a little longer than he was. you know. And that's why I think it was purposeful that he waited nine chapters to say it. He doesn't even announce himself at the beginning of the book. He doesn't even say, I'm writing this, it's Matthew. Most do. If you read most of the books, you know who wrote it because they announce themselves right at the front. He doesn't do that. What humility must Matthew have had to know that he was a disciple, he was an apostle of Christ, and he wasn't going to be braggadocious about what he went through and what God brought him out of. He just wanted to declare the goodness and the miracles and the power and the life-changing, saving power of Jesus Christ. I think we forget our story sometimes. Not only do we forget our story Sometimes, but we forget that there's other stories being told. And we forget to utilize the power that he gave us. And Jesus passed forth from there. He passed forth from there and he saw men. It's as if it was an accident. It's as if as Jesus was walking by, something caught his eye. It was as if he was busy about something, and something caught his attention. See, what's interesting about this whole thing is Jesus is in Capernaum. For those of you who don't know, Capernaum is his home. Capernaum is his home. He was born in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy. He was raised in Nazareth, but Nazareth rejected him. So what he did is he moved to Capernaum. And all through the Gospels, you'll see him in Capernaum quite a bit. This is where many believe his home church was. This is where five of the 12 disciples got called from, was Capernaum. The, the, the Sea of Galilee, this region, is where 11 of the 12 apostles were called from. Guess which one wasn't called from that region? Judas. Judas, that's right. Judas wasn't called from that region. Side note, be careful who you're running with. If they're not like you, that, that there may be an issue there. And I'm not talking about your color. I'm not talking about your background. I'm not talking about your culture. I'm talking about the direction you're going. If they're not going that way, you need to be careful with them on your boat. So he's in Capernaum, and he's known. He's known. Jesus is known. But you know who else is known in Capernaum? Matthew's known. Because Matthew is at the receipt of custom, which means he's at the tax table collecting taxes. And many people believe this was right by the sea. This is right where the import and export is happening there. He's making sure he's going to get the Romans' money. Everybody knows who Matthew is. Why do they know who Matthew is? Because he's a devil. Matthew's a devil. Because he's taking taxes. I know some tax devils. But this is how he's seen. And you know, you know why they really don't like him? Because he's a Jew. He's a Jew and he signed up with the Romans to pull tax from the other Jews. And that's how the Romans would do this. 
they would pick a Jew to collect because they would have better success getting the money than if they did it themselves. But the problem with these Jews was they would say, you owe 10 when really you owe five. And they'd pocket the other five. So most of these tax collectors were rich. They had a lot of money. And you know what? A lot of people were scared of them because they had somebody that had their back. They had the Roman soldiers and the Roman Empire behind them. So you couldn't even contest them. So they were subject to somebody that was their own. And yet they still had to abide by that rule. Can you imagine the disdain that Matthew had in this region? And here's what else. It's important to know that this was chapter 9 and verse 9 because at this point Jesus had already done stuff in Capernaum. Jesus had already healed people. Jesus had already done, uh, given teachings in this region. Jesus had already visited the temple in this region. What am I saying? Matthew has heard of Jesus for sure, just like people have heard of Matthew for sure. He knew Jesus was in this area. And Jesus passed by and saw him. Jesus passed. You know, anything can happen when Jesus passes by. Anything can happen. You know what? We take church for granted too often. You want to know why? Because Jesus manifests himself in this room every Sunday when we come in here. That opportunity for you is, is big. And you know what happens? In, 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 John, in John 6, we see Jesus passing by. It was his intent to pass by the ship when he was walking on water. But the disciples didn't let him. They called out to him. And we see a miracle. Peter walks on the water. We see the woman with the issue of blood later in this chapter. And she's, she sees Jesus passing by. And she does whatever it takes to get to him. She reaches for him. And she finds her healing. As Jesus passes by, there's the, there's the blind man sitting at the gate. And he says, son of man have mercy on me have mercy on me because as he's passing by when you reach for Jesus as he's passing by anything can happen anything can happen when Jesus passes by but we're so familiar with him that we don't reach no more we don't reach no more when's the last time you really reached for Jesus you really reached him and not like I said to begin with told him what you needed him to do He reached. And what's interesting here, though, is that Matthew wasn't reaching for Jesus when he passed by. This time, Jesus reaches for him. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man. He saw a man. He saw a man. He saw a man. I want to stop here and just encourage you. God sees you. God sees you. I'm going to say it to you. Have faith. God sees you. I'm going to say it to you. Believe it. God sees you. God sees you even though you messed it up. God sees you. God sees you even in your sixth situation. He sees you. God sees you though you feel like all hope is lost. God sees you. God sees you. Everybody rejected you. God still sees you. God, you might be all alone, but God sees you. You might be losing your mind, but God sees you. Your kid might have lost her mind, his mind, but God sees you. And they see him or her. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. I remember the first time God saw a man. 
I remember the first time God saw a man. God created everything in creation, and when he, when he saw it, he said it was good. But when he created man, he said, it is not good. He saw a man, he said, it is not good for him to be alone. In other words, he's imperfect. He's not whole. He's going to need somebody on his side to, be, to walk in the fullness of what I've given him, to have dominion. He's going to need a partner. But more than that, he's going to have to come to an understanding that he needs me. So I might need to let him mess up a little bit so that he can learn that he needs me. God sees you. You might have messed up and think you're the biggest failure on earth. And you know what? God might have let you do that. You want to know why? Because that's his providence and that's what makes him sovereign. He can let you mess it up. To... It can be the worst mess up you ever thought possible. And God will let you do it just to wake you up so you know you need him. And understand, he sees you. He sees every step you make. He ordered them. He fashioned it. He made it just the way he wanted it to be. He sees you. He sees you. Just like Adam. He saw Adam. He saw him and he said he's not good. Why isn't he good? Because he's imperfect. He's not whole. He's not all the way. And when I think about him seeing Matthew in this moment, I think it, it, it's past the point of just seeing Matthew, this tax collector. I think as he gazed at him, he saw right through him. He saw right through him. It's as if he remembered fabricating and forming this man, Matthew. He saw all his mess-ups. He saw all his, you know, he even saw where Matthew came from because, you know, not everybody called him Matthew. If you look in the other Gospels, his name isn't Matthew, it's Levi. But even the Gospel is called Matthew. Why? Because that's what Jesus called him. So he looks and he sees Matthew, but it's really Levi, and he's seeing, you know what? You were assigned to the priestly duties. You were part of the tribe of Levi. So you're supposed to be a preacher. You're supposed to be a priest. You're supposed to be handling and doing the things of God, and you've rejected and betrayed the people of God. Now, Matthew, you're stealing from the people of God. I see you, Matthew. I see who you really are. I see who I sent into this earth. I see you, Matthew. I see you. I see you. But he didn't call him Levi. He called him Matthew. He called him Matthew. I believe when God looked at Matthew, he peered right into him and he took his love and saw his love in him and then put it in him. He saw his grace in him and put it in him. Because when God sees something, he never takes his eyes off it. Our Bible tells us that he looks on us daily, the wicked and the righteous. He's watching us. His eye is on the sparrow, so I know he's watching me. He sees you. He sees you. Don't think you can trick God. Don't think just because you wear your mask up in this church, you can wear your mask in your prayer closet. That's why most of you avoid the prayer closet because you know God's just going to snatch that thing right off your face. He pulls it back and then pops you in the face with it just, just so that you know he knows that you're just wearing a mask. He sees you. Don't think you can trick God. Quit acting. Quit acting. Quit acting like you don't have a past. Quit acting like you ain't messed up in your past. Looking down your nose at everybody, trying to act like they something they not. Like they didn't qualify, like they don't make it, and they're not good enough. 
Don't act like you didn't have a past. The holiest person in this room has a past, I promise you. Like Pastor Rick says, ain't nobody coming here with wings hanging over the back of their chair. I don't see no angels in here. Don't try to trick God. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. And he saw a man named Matthew. He saw a man named Matthew. And he was sitting at the receipt of custom. He was sitting at the tax collector's table. See, this, like I said a minute ago, this is a degrading business. Um, he wasn't listening to Jesus preaching, let's be clear. He was sitting at the receipt of custom. If it was the receipt of custom, then this is what he was customarily doing. Can I get an amen? amen. So as Jesus is adding, Matthew is taking away. Beyond the fact that this type of occupation was bad and looked down upon, it's one of those things where you get locked up in it. You get locked up in it. Monetary gain is one of those snares that doesn't let go of you easy. Monetary gain is not one of those that let go of you easy. That's why folks go down to the casino and hit a jackpot and they jump and holler and scream, and I ain't speaking against any of that. I'm just telling you right now how it is. You go down there, win a, win a jackpot, and you go crazy, and then you lose the jackpot the next ten times you go back, and some. Because that monetary gain is one of them traps. One of them traps that gets you chasing. That gets you chasing. The, uh, Timothy tells us that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. The love of money or the, the not money ain't the root of all evil because Ecclesiastes tells us that money answers all things. We need money. Money is the fuel for the ministry. Money is fuel for your purpose. Money is part of the prosperity and blessing that God puts on your life. Money is what's needed to reach the homeless. Money is what's needed to reach the lost in Africa and Asia and across the world. We need money to make ministry happen and to make the kingdom advance. But the love of money is the root of all evil and it's a snare that will get you trapped. It can't be first. You can't love God and mammon. You love God and let God give you the mammon to do your work. He's sitting at the receipt of custom. So we don't know if Matthew had a desire to follow Christ. We don't know if he cared to meet Christ. We don't know nothing about that. All we know is that he was sitting in the wrong chair. That's all we know. We know that he was sitting at the seat, the receipt of custom. He was sitting at the tax collector's table. He was not where he was supposed to be. His name was Levi. He came from the tribe of Levi, which means he came from the priestly tribe. So he was sitting at the wrong seat. He was sitting on his purpose. He was sitting on his purpose. Jesus passing by. Jesus on the move. Jesus is doing something. Jesus is moving. And Matthew was sitting. A lot of times we get to doing too good that we don't get up. A lot of times success, we feel the success and we feel like we can't get up from this. But we're not fulfilled in the success. We're missing something. We're lacking something. We're not all the way there like Matthew. And he's sitting on his purpose. We feel like everything we've done 
is disqualifying us from our future. For instance, let's just say, hypothetically, Matthew really did want to follow Jesus. And I would have to believe that he did because when Jesus speaks to him, he gets up immediately and follows him, right? So if he does that, I have to believe that maybe there was some kind of inclination or desire in him to follow Jesus. He wanted to, but he couldn't get off his mind that everybody hates me. The quote-unquote people of God hate me. I'm going to let it sit right there. How many people in this world do you think the people of God hate them? And they're sitting on their purpose because they're scared of the rejection that they might feel should they start following Jesus. Maybe it even crossed his mind that the apostles wouldn't accept him into their group because of who he was. They were fishermen, which means they did a lot of commerce, which means they had to pay lots of taxes. So they probably met with Matthew quite a bit. As a matter of fact, when Jesus stopped and said that, I can only imagine the shock that was on the apostles' faces when they heard that, those two words that got them to follow me. Can you imagine this? And fear has locked him into the receipt of custom, the table. You're locked into a custom. You're locked into how it's always been. You're locked into a generational curse. You're locked into success, but it's not fulfilling. You're locked into a cycle that you feel is impossible to break, so you just let the cycle be a custom. You let the cycle be a custom. You let failure be the name that you carry. You let mistakes be the name that you carry. You let sick be the name that you carry. You let victim be the name that you carry. And you get locked into this place and you're sitting on it. Get up. Somebody say get up. Look at your neighbor and tell him get up. Stop sitting on your purpose. Many of you have dreams that you believe now are just fantasies. That wasn't a real dream. That was just my young self having a fantasy. And really it was the dream of God that God planted in you. And you gave up on it because your cycle locked you into believing that you're something that you're not. Get up. Get up. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom and I bet when Jesus is looking at him I can't imagine it happened quick I gotta believe because I'm dramatic that when Jesus was walking along he saw him and he saw him a few times and he kept trying to push back the feeling that was in his spirit and he sees him and he finally he just stops and looks and he locks eyes with Matthew and there's a man standing at Matthew's table and Matthew's just about to tell him what he owes and the man's like come on he wants I'm ready to get on with this tell me what I owe and Matthew's silent and he's just locked eyes with Jesus and Jesus is locked eyes with him and as Jesus is looking at him he sees past everything and he sees down the road and he notices that in Matthew's hand there's this pen there's this pen because under, the, under his hand and on that table, on that receipt of custom, there's this ledger and he's recording things and he's keeping all the accounts just right and he's squaring off who, who got what and how much he took on the side and everything's just, the book is right there. And he sees him writing. And I can't help but think that as he's looking at that pen, he's thinking, he gets a smile on his face. 
And he says, this guy, this one, he's going to write the first of the four Gospels. And I need him to do it because he knows how to keep track of stuff. He knows just how to do it right. This is the perfect guy to write out my script. He's the guy I need to tell my story because he'll talk about money because money is a big deal. And everybody gets skewed when it comes to money and they get all freaked out, especially in church when people talk about money. So let me get him because he's the worst one when it comes to money. He, he was an extortioner. Let me, let me use this guy. He writes it just right. And, and he's a publican, so he's going to keep track just right, just right. And as it turns out, Matthew's book is one of the most orderly and together gospels in the Bible. It's written just right, just right. And he's right, and he's looking at him, and he says, oh, oh, and he's doing this for the Romans. So he knows how to operate in the kingdom. He already has the understanding. This is the perfect guy for me. And he looks at him, and he sees a man. And here's the key to the whole thing. It's the, pivot, the most pivotal words in the whole thing. And Jesus was passing by, and he saw a man called Matthew, or named, named Matthew. And he saith, Jesus saith unto him, follow me. The pivotal words there are not follow me. The pivotal words there is he saith. You see, when Matthew heard his voice, he recognized it. He recognized the voice of Jesus. There's a lot of people in this room that know the word but you don't know his voice. There's a lot of people that know some good scriptures, but you don't know his voice. You don't know his voice. You don't know his voice. The word is what he said. His voice is what he's saying. And he's just close enough to hear his voice. And isn't that what called Adam when he was out of place? And the voice of the Lord was walking in the cool of the day where are you because the voice of the lord will always locate you it will always locate you it will always locate you so matthew follow me and why did matthew recognize his voice because jeremiah tells us that before 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 i formed you in your mother's womb i knew you it leads us to believe that in some point of an eternity we had a conversation with god you've heard pastor rick talk about this we had a conversation with god concerning our purpose and where we're going and and we agreed to everything we were going to do and we said yes i'm going to do that but as soon as we were born as soon as we step down into this earth, we forgot that agreement. Why? It's imperative that Matthew walks through this story so that he can get to this moment and hear his voice. Why? Because Jesus needed him to be a tax collector. He needed him to be hated. He needed him to be scorned. He needed him to be an outcast. He needed him to be an extortioner. He needed him to keep the ledger. Why? Because everything in that story was building up to what God called him for. He saw a man and he called him and he recognized that voice. Why? Because he had heard that voice before. I can't get no help in this building. He had heard the voice 
before. He didn't hesitate. He acted on it. It doesn't make sense that he would act on it and not delay, but he responded because he recognized the voice. Jesus tells us that my sheep hear my voice, and a stranger they will not follow. It's interesting that he says a stranger they will not follow. And what he tells Matthew is, follow me. It wasn't a strange voice to him. It wasn't a strange voice to him. He just heard the calling of God and he followed it. Romans tell us, tells us that he knew, he foreknew and he predestined us. The verse right before that, just so you know where the, where the, where the reference is, it's Romans 8, 28 through 30. Read it. For we know that all things work together for the good of them that are called and love God, right, according to his purpose. And then right after it, he says, he foreknew us. He predestined us. It's as if he's saying, I knew your story. I knew what you were going to go through. I knew the pitfalls. I know the failures. I know the broken relationships. I know the sicknesses. I know everything you're about to face, and I meant it. I meant it. Isn't that what Joseph said? You meant it for evil, but God meant it. God meant it. Stop cursing what you're going through. Stop complaining about your struggle. Stop worrying about you ain't going to see the, the bank accounts dry and you, ain't, you don't know how you're going to face your bills. I dare you to put a praise on it. Put some kind of praise on it and say, God, I thank you for my story. I thank you for my struggle. I thank you for my failures. I th Somebody ought to give God some thanks. God meant it. It don't make sense to you, but you know what? That's why I started this whole message by saying God is God all by himself. He don't need your help. He don't need your help because his story is better than your story. I promise you that. God meant it. God meant it. He meant it. He meant it. He meant it. It's like you guys ever heard of deja vu? Deja vu, that's what Matthew had when he heard Jesus' voice. He had deja vu. Heard this before. Been there before. I've seen this. Have you ever really had deja vu? Who knows, that might be a divine moment in eternity where God's confirming in your life that you're right on track. I don't know. That's a little deep for me, but we'll just say that. But that's what he's experiencing in this moment. He's experiencing deja vu. I had a conversation with this man. Don't let somebody talk you out of it. He responded immediately. And he arose and followed him. He arose and he followed him. He arose and he followed him. He didn't wait. He didn't talk himself out of it. He didn't make an excuse. He didn't do anything. He heard the voice of the Lord and he got up and he followed him. Too many of us are waiting for some kind of confirmation when God already said it. God's just waiting for you to get up and follow him. How do you know that Jesus wouldn't have just stood there waiting on Matthew? Matthew might have had to sit there for days and days and days. Maybe Jesus sets up a tent. Because he ain't going forward without Matthew. Because he made Matthew for this moment. He made some of you for this moment. You're looking at, at some challenges in your face. You're looking at some stuff in your family. You're looking at some stuff in your job. You're confused about the purpose God planted in your life. You don't know who you are. But you know what? If you'll listen and hear his voice, you'll come to a revelation of who God created you to be. And that is why you can't miss church. That is why you don't miss church. 
That is why you don't miss your prayer time. That is why you don't, you don't stay out of the word of God. You got to be in the word of God. You got to be in your prayer closet. And you got to be in God's house. Why? Because that's where God speaks. He can speak anywhere he wants, but you know it's a guarantee he's going to speak there. So he hears his voice, and in hearing his voice, he recognizes who he is. I'm not Levi. I'm Matthew. I'm the gift of God. That's what Matthew means. I'm not just joined. I'm not just stuck in the law and in the priestly duties and all that. I, I, I know who I am. I'm Matthew. Don't let nobody else tell you who you are. Doesn't matter what they called you. They could have called you all kind of stuff. They could have called you less than. They could have called you names. They could have said you're not good enough. They could have called you a reject. They could have called you stupid. Don't listen to what people called you because when Jesus calls you, that's the call you need to listen to. I'll close with this. Sweat. Y'all hot? Is it just me? <laughs> I get frustrated because my glasses start fogging up. And, and Anyway. So everybody in Capernaum knew who Matthew was. Even though they didn't like him, they knew who he was. I bet a bunch of people were buddy-buddy with him just because he had some money. People knew who Matthew was. And it's interesting because it's as if Jesus stops everything. And he walks by, sees a man named Matthew, calls him, follows him. The very next thing you notice, Jesus is at Matthew's house now with his disciples. Because his disciples are just going to follow him wherever he goes. doesn't matter where he goes. And he's in Matthew's house, and he's eating with other publicans and other sinners. And here comes the religious folk. And they see this. First of all, Matthew was able to get all them publicans and sinners up in the house. Probably the disciples wouldn't have been able to pull that off. They probably didn't even like each other. Those disciples were rowdy. Who knows how many fights they've been in with these guys? You know? And, but Matthew's able to do it. He pulls in all these publicans and sinners, and the Pharisees show up, and they say, why does your master consort with these worthless people? We got to be careful as the people of God what we're calling people. And what we're saying about people that hang out with people that we don't approve of. Stop calling them stuff. Because you're putting a name on them that God didn't put on them. Be careful with your mouth. Be careful with your eyes. Stop seeing them how you want to see them. Jesus sees them differently. And so he looks at them. And see, you don't get to determine who they are. God does that. Acts chapter 10, God's speaking to one of his apostles, and he tells him, don't call unclean what I called clean. And it's in the law that pork was unclean. And he said, don't you dare call it unclean, because I'm calling it clean. That's what I mean by God can do whatever he wants. Be careful what you call it. Be careful what you call it, because that's the authority God gave Adam to call it something, and that's what it became. So you might be calling something, and you're watching it become what you call it. And it's not because that's what it is. 
It's because that's the authority that's coming out of your mouth. And you're putting something on that individual that should have never been on them. Now they have to fight through that word. But back to the point, I got sidetracked. So they're having a party here. And I think it's interesting that they are because Matthew writes the first book of the New Covenant, the New Testament. It's really more precisely uh, translated the New Covenant. And, and one of the covenant was our word this year, right? If you go back and listen to the messages at the beginning of the year, really good stuff. But to seal a covenant, you'd always have a meal together. Jesus was telling him, I'm with you. I'm with you, heart and soul. I got your back. I'll sit with your friends. I'll teach them. And isn't that what he tells these devils called Pharisees? You don't send us a, a doctor to somebody who's well you send them to the sick and then he puts he puts a little twist on it at the end he says oh go while you're at it go learn this i desire mercy more than sacrifice because i didn't come to call the righteous see our righteousnesses are as filthy rags we can't be righteous anyway so he's being sarcastic i didn't come to call the righteous but to call the sinner to repentance. Could it be that Jesus wasn't talking about Matthew's repentance? He was talking about those Pharisees' repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of the way you think. Stop looking at them like that. Change your mind about it. Come sit with us. Enjoy this meal and see what we can do for the kingdom of God. And I'll close with this last statement. The gospel of Matthew, the good news of Joshua, the good news of Maverick, the good news of Lisa, the good news of Miss Frankie, the good news of Elena, the good news of Pat, the good news of John, the good news of Gino. There's a message in it. Don't get scared of where you are. Don't feel less than where you are. Don't feel rejected. Don't feel like no matter even how good you're doing, don't feel like you're locked into it. Don't curse your crisis. And Jesus passed by. He passes by Quest Church every Sunday morning. And as he passed by, he saw a man named Matthew. As Jesus is looking your way, don't forget to look back at him. Don't forget to look at the Savior. Don't forget to look at love incarnate. Don't forget to look at your deliverer. Don't forget to look at your hope. He's the hope that we need in days that we live in today. He saw him. But the beauty of the story was that Matthew was smart enough to see him too. Would you lift your hands? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning because you're so good to us. The news that comes from you is no, there is no greater news. God, I want to thank you personally for every step along the way. I want to thank you for those chapters that I don't even talk to nobody about. Those chapters of my life that were so dark and scary. God, where I made the biggest mistakes of my life. Where I failed you and I knew I did. And I did it knowingly forgive me for that but more than anything I just want to say thank you for it 
because you saw me even though I didn't see myself. I was acting like Levi, but really I was Matthew, and I thank you for calling me out of that. I thank you that I might have been acting like Jacob, but you put an Israel prophetic word on me, God. You saw the real me when I didn't even see myself. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for the hands that are raised in this room. I want to thank you for the person that's facing a situation. They don't know how they're going to get through, but you know how they're going to get through it. You know you set it up for just this purpose because there's some big glory coming up out of it. God, we thank you for it. We put a praise on it right now because praise is our expectation. Praise is expectation and gratitude put together. And so when we praise you, we're saying we have an expectation that there's going to be a good outcome in this situation. So we bless you, we glorify you, we honor you, we lift you higher. We thank you in the middle of the storm. We thank you in the midst of these circumstances. We thank you in every devil that we're facing. We thank you that we're going to have the victory in Jesus' name.